0: Actors Talk Podcast, episode 37. Welcome, everyone, to episode 37 of ATP Actors Talk Podcast, My name is Tommy G. Kendrick. I am the producer and host. And no, do not adjust your audio equipment. My voice really is that bad. I am in the throes of a terrible case of bronchitis and I must get this interview up. So please bear with me as I struggle through this, but I'll make it as brief as possible so that you don't have to listen to me in this condition very much. Thank you so much for joining us. Please check actorstalkpodcast.com if you're listening to this from iTunes or from shortfilmtexas.com or some other venue. All of the show notes about Rick and the book that we'll be talking about in this episode, North of Hollywood, all the links and Information are there at actors dot com. Back on April fourth, two thousand twelve, it was my distinct pleasure to publish this interview. Initially, it was in the infancy of the podcast, and most of you regular listeners now have not heard this interview. And I think it's a really, really. Important book and interview for people pursuing the actor's life. Let me just read a brief excerpt from my review of the book, North of Hollywood. I'll get right to my interview with Rick. Here's what I said back in April 2012. Actor, playwright, artist, and now author Rick Lenz moves in for an extreme close-up on a very successful career and an often dysfunctional personal life. How does the professional actor manage the demands of the business and the responsibilities of a husband and father? Is it possible to maintain equilibrium in both? Well, of course it is, but it's not going to be easy, and this isn't an easy book. North of Hollywood gives the reader a raw-to-the-bone, bravely personal view of what it can mean to succeed in show business and what happens when, almost inevitably, that success slips away. Please join me with my interview with mr rick Lenz. i think you will uh, find it insightful it is told with distinct honesty the book is and my interview with him will reveal to you that he is a very very likable guy who has uh, very thankfully come out the other side of some difficult experiences and has been brave enough to share those with us the audience interested in these topics thank you rick here's the interview rick
1: yeah is this tommy
0: it is how are you sir
1: i'm i'm very well thank you i just uh happened to go online and, and look at your uh looked at your demo reel i thought it was terrific oh
0: thank you i appreciate that i've been knocking around this game for a long time without this without both. the success that you have had but still hammering away nonetheless
1: Oh, i got you well <laughs> I, I i am in this in the center of, supposedly of where it's Used to all be. It's not anymore. I know.
0: You know, it's really changed. The whole landscape has changed because there's so much regional production and and that sort of thing. It it really is a, a different ball game. I lived in L.A. for 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. The Northridge earthquake did us in. So. You know, was, <laughs> I know. I had some other friends who took that
1: opportunity to exit
0: this place. Let's talk about your new book, North of Hollywood, and. Your life, also. I mean, it's hard to separate the two. Uh, your career, your life, and and the book. It's it's um it's a very fascinating book. This is not your read it at the checkout stand Hollywood memoir about you know titillating details of who slept with whom and that kind of thing. Yeah. This is much more a book, uh, a memoir with well, I would say it's a memoir with teeth, and it it, it goes places that quite frankly, I'm surprised. Often, when when a writer does this, it's brave and it's open and it's bare, and I'm not sure I could do it. So I congratulate you ah, on on well, writing a book that that lays bare so many of your foibles. Because in much of the book, quite frankly, you're not always a sympathetic character.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know that. Well, that's been the case in my life, you know. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> so as I as I've gotten older. I don't know this I think I don't know exactly why it happened but in the last few years it's uh, it seems like there's less you know to defend about you know in kind of ego ways so I, I don't I don't mind in fact I kind of enjoy sort of an increasing for me honesty about you know about my life and and uh, and uh, I know I it's it's demanded of me by my family my wife you know just won't, won't let me pull the old crap anymore and uh, so it's just life seems to work better as you go along. I think if you
0: can be as you know. Well, it, what's what's interesting possible. about the book is that it is a journey indeed that has a very hopeful ending to it, and it doesn't yeah, all it doesn't start out where you know it could it could have gone a different way, and and right. it's it right. and it ends up in a way that. Is satisfying and uh, hopeful for your future. And the thing about the book that one of the, one of the things I like best about it is that if if the reader sticks with it, they're going to come become really invested in you as a person and your family and and the people that you care about. And that's. That's much more than just your surface Hollywood tale, and so you know oh, I, I I think that's a a fantastic difference between what you've done and just just some knockoff Hollywood book. What you've done uh, is yeah. much more in depth than that.
1: Oh, you humble me! I thank you so much, Tommy. It's uh, it's you know it's it it truly is my you know it's my blood in there. But uh, you know so to have it. Uh, appreciate it and, and people have been and I can't tell you what a joy this is. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, having uh, one of the good times when you're, when you're acting, you know, you're getting the positive attention and, and it's for work that you've poured your blood into and, and done the best you could with. So it's just, this is, is being a joy for me and, and talking to you here and now and, you know, hearing what you have to say, it, it, it does make me feel good. And, I think one of the things that happens is, from my point of view, is is that, uh, you know, I think it has to happen as a for you to become a better actor. And it probably is some metaphor with a life that's successful, is. And I don't mean to be pontificating, but it. it I think the more you can kind of, you know, find identify or separate ego things. You know, I, I think if I'd written this book 20 years ago, I probably would have told you a little more the cool things I did and uh, and this and that. And a lot of those this and that's really were kind of, you know, just not worth the time to tell because we all work. And, and I know that for my part, if I read somebody's biographical story, and they tell me, well, I, I, you know, I, I went through this, and I, and I suffered there, and I had this triumph here. I think, well, you know, a little bit. I think people think, well, I've had those same kind of problems. Why am I reading this one, especially? And I'm, I'm hoping that, um, I mean, I, I truly wouldn't have written this ten years ago, because I just wasn't, I, I wasn't up to writing anything. I don't think anybody would want to read. And, and I know at one for you. I said I wouldn't try to quote myself <laughs> at one point I said I, I wouldn't be telling this if I didn't think that around the corner I had something to say that would be worth the reader's time I was talking about my daughter who uh, suffered with some drug abuse for several years and came out of it you know just glowing but it was a struggle and I, she was and at that time of you know dealing one day at a time with that problem and I said and then I think about her and realize that uh, for her to try to look ahead and see the top of the mountain before she gets there is madness. And um, I don't know if this is all hooking up.
2: I do know. Go ahead.
1: Thanks. Uh, yeah, I, I guess that's uh, you know where I had to go with uh, with that.
0: Well, well, let me uh, ask you this because you brought up your daughter sure. a- Abby or Abigail, yeah. and yeah. and she had a, she had a terrible problem. Uh, oh you yeah. You know, I mean, I, when you think of it, I mean, just from afar. You you mentioned her addiction early on in the book, the first time in the book, and then at some point right. you, you say the word you know crack, and if that yeah. was the drug you know, and that and that's just scary as all get out because all oh. of us have seen you know what what happens there, and the the details of her right. life bear that out of how difficult uh, it is to get over that. Did you have? Right. Did you have license from your family to reveal these very, very intimate details of their lives yes. as well as yours?
1: Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I was, uh, with my, well, with all, with all my family, with, with my three children and my wife and, uh, and, and my ex-wives, my two ex-wives knew I was doing it too and, uh, and had not, you know, objected. And in fact, since I've, uh, the books come out, they've called me and told me that
0: they're glad I wrote it. Well, I, Abigail, I must say I, that you're, you're, and I'll let you get back to that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but your your wife, your first two wives, Sarah and uh, Jessica? Jessica, yeah, Sarah, right. I, actually, you're, you're not, and I'm starting to say kind, but I don't think that's the right word. You're, you're fair to them I and mean, they come off in a very good light in the book. I think you take, you take a lot of responsibility as you know, quite frankly, from the way you wrote it, you probably should take a lot of responsibility for some of right. the, the failings that happened. And, you know, their their reactions to the book might well have been different had, you know, they suffered some sort of blame that they felt was unjust or that kind of thing. So, you know, yeah, they, well, they, they they actually were, they, come across as very sympathetic characters in the book.
1: Well, I'm glad because because they should, because they're, you know, they're, they're women that I, you know, now admire and you know care for very much and and, that comes out uh, yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. to
0: finish your thought about abigail because one of the things i wanted to ask and wasn't sure if i should but i think it's fine now is i was i wanted to know how she is now because at the end of the book she's she's on an upswing and she's she's in recovery and recovered and married and had a child and you know it just couldn't get any better and i'm saying i'm just praying you know please god let that be the case
1: yeah she's not married any longer that marriage didn't work out because she was uh she was married to somebody who was also in the, um dealing with the problem right. as happens sometimes yes. uh but that's that's really amicable and and our and my granddaughter her daughter uh named Frances is you know is just you know you know like the love of my life and uh or one of the loves of my life now and, and, uh, is perfect. And Abigail still lives in, uh, Hattiesburg. She's grown to like the South
2: and, yeah.
1: uh, Mississippi and, uh, where she is and, uh, what she's doing. And, uh, she's living a really positive life with, uh, you know, a lot of the things I talk about in the book.
0: Right. That's fantastic. Well, let's go, yeah. let's go. I'm, I'm going to pull up Rick lens here and, and jump, okay. and jump backwards. <laughs> Cause okay. I wanted to ask you, um, uh, before I got started and I'm too late, but I wanted to ask you about uh, the style of the book, which is rather nonlinear in fashion. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, that mm-hmm. seems really appropriate to me for a, a man, a writer who spent a considerable portion of his adult life working and filming mostly out of sequence. Yeah,
1: and, that's funny. I hadn't thought about
0: that. That's really interesting. It's a very intriguing way to go at the, at this type of book in particular was that, a decision that you made before you started writing, or was that something that just happened as you began to put the book together? Or I mean, it, it seems like you were putting together a puzzle in a way.
1: You know, I, I have this—I have this kind of thing in, in, that I have, like, like when I get on an airplane, I can feel—I don't know why—I think of it that time, especially, but as it's starting to take off on a big old jet, and and uh, I just kind of feel the whole wash of my life. And uh, I, I sort of used that image a couple times—the airplane image—in in the in the book, and uh, and uh, and so it just felt like a natural way to deal with uh, my life. And and my my hope was to try to keep at the same time a, a narrative line going. For example, one of the things that I do in the book is I make some sort of really crude, primitive attempts at uh, dealing with some of my problems and kind of a. Uh, a spiritual way, and uh, that's not to say it's you know a, a religious kind of book at all. But it's it's I, I do I do believe in you know in a power you know greater than us, and and I've come to more and more in my life, and I I just think it's uh, it just helped me to to uh, to look at at, that, at my life. I think that that our lives are are not as linear as we maybe think they are sometimes. Well, isn't that the
0: truth? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I agree. I mean, it 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 has an almost stream of conscious feel to it at times, because you know uh, our our th- but it but it's organized. I don't mean to say it's disorganized in any way, and there is a through line. And I think it's a really clever literary device, even if you didn't intend it to be a literary device. It <laughs> it, it, it well, works. I, kinda, that way.
1: I, I got to like it as it as I went along and and. And I got comfortable with it, and I realized that it sort of freed me up to be able to to make uh, a segue that uh even though it wasn't necessarily uh uh you know in in a linear timeline it was uh it had a logic to it right you know it it would it would uh one thought would lead to another and then i for example i get, remember getting into an area where I just start to talk about a sort of meltdown I had where I stopped auditioning as well as I used to and uh um and I sort of kind of analyzed that and then I can go back to, and then i in doing that, I went back to some of the things I was doing during that time and uh uh and they kind of tied together and uh and then and always the you know my my life w- would would uh, would i sort of wrote this within about one year of time, although it's you know it's it covers much much longer and uh during that year certain things happened like my sister uh became ill and struggled with that and she's fine by the way right uh, i was going to ask uh, about
0: debbie right yeah is the, debbie's yeah.
1: doing just swell she's yeah.
0: just you know she's well my my be wife and, is a cancer survivor and so she? i so i can i can relate to to that yeah and wow. um and yeah i absolutely can the the fear and the sort of helplessness that that you fear and of course your sister dealt with it more than once
1: right? oh she's dealt so, with it you know twice once yeah. in her 20s and uh and then she uh took an accidental needle stick she was a nurse right. and uh had uh hepatitis b and um and then she had this she had ovarian cancer you know in this in the book and uh and uh, it's been gone uh, just about four or five
0: years now. Right. And so, well, your your love and affection and protectiveness for your sister Debbie is one of the one of the other things that really resonates in the book, and yeah. and also you know from from just a literary sort of standpoint looking back at it makes you a more sympathetic character in in this i I keep looking at it like a novel and it's not a novel but but uh, but it's but it's but it seems like a novel in a way and
1: well it feels like a novel to me too but i didn't you know mean it that way but i but i i i'm glad that it feels that
0: way yeah it, it it does and you know you uh like I said, you seem very protective of debbie, and of course she's your how much younger than you is she
1: uh, she's almost she's almost ten years younger than i am and and uh, she really was you know we uh, as as i made clear we came from a pretty dysfunctional family indeed and, and uh,
2: yeah.
1: i mean they were you know they they loved us and everything but they you know it's like i I was trying to think of a line and I won't say it because it's uh <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's uh, they loved us. But but my sister just was seemed to need protecting from me s- since the moment I, you know, encountered her when she came home premature from the hospital. Right. So you know, I, I, it goes back a long way. And then when I had my my daughter was born, and she was the third of my three children. I I, I really, and I say that in the book. I, I almost truly fainted. I was so happy to have a daughter.
0: That's great. I want to go to some things about your acting career and to New York because I have some questions there. But I want to ask you one other thing, because there's another character that that uh, really resonates in the book and is someone who whose life, even though he, he was in your childhood, Had an indelible impression on you, and I think you carry something with him, probably even today. And that was your friend Dixie Thorpe. Would you tell the story about about who Dixie Thorpe was and what happened to him and how that affected you?
1: Would you like to? I happen to have that right in front of me. Would you like me to
0: read a page? Sure, absolutely. And and in fact, in in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you if I can read a page and you respond to it. (laughs) Sure. If you don't right. mind. Yeah, but I would love for you no, to read that. All. I would love for you to read that. Yeah, this, this, this uh, is a okay. very important part of the book, I think.
1: Okay. Uh, I just we quite a yeah, you know, When I was 10 years old, I used to play with a boy named Dixie Thorpe. He was nine. I have no idea where he got that name. I don't think his family was from the South. One day, Dixie's mother took us to Crisbell Lake, one of a hundred or more swimmable lakes that pepper Jackson County, Michigan. Chris Bell was about a half mile across, and the area around it hadn't been built up much. We were going to swim at the small county park. Dixie changed into his bathing suit first and got down to the edge of the lake before I did. As I came out of the bathhouse, I saw a group of four or five boys in the water around uh, the end of the swimming dock. Dixie and I didn't know these kids well. They went to a different grade school. They were a little older than us, and the few times we'd run into them, they'd always harassed us with pre-adolescent taunting for no other reason than they could, and because each of them wanted to, provide, uh, to prove to his buddies that he was a tough guy. Dixie had never been to this lake before and wasn't a strong swimmer, but I was. It was a pretty shallow lake, so no one seemed to be worried. I was almost down to the water when Dixie reached the end of the dock. I saw him look hesitantly down, apparently working up the courage to go in. The boy standing in the water jeered and yelled at him, "'Dive in, paddy Waste, What are you scared of?' Dixie was a gutsy kid. He wasn't scared of anybody. I liked that about him. It made me feel gutsy, too, confident, just like Dixie. As I reached the lake, he backed up a few steps. The boy standing shoulder-deep in the water continued to goad him. I felt something leaden in the pit of my stomach. I ran out onto the deck, to the dock, yelling, Dixie, don't. But by then he was sprinting full tilt toward the water. He threw himself off head first, launching himself into an awkward jackknife dive. He s- seemed to hang on in the air forever. He hung on in the, ho- in the hospital for a week before he died. I never saw him again. The boys had been standing on their knees.
0: I'll end, I'll end it there. Unbelievable that yeah. that is such a powerful section in the book i mean my you know when i was reading it not not to be overly dramatic but i mean i when you see what's coming uh you know and you you think of man's inhumanity to man some stupid prank oh. and you oh. just don't oh, yeah, you just good, don't good. think of the the repercussions and know, and what I happens i don't know you
1: know more than us and we behave like kids sometimes. Right. You know, a lot of us at different times. Yeah. But
0: that, I mean, clearly that that type of a dramatic uh, incident would stay with anyone. But you mentioned it. You mentioned Dixie a number of other or several other times in the book. Yeah. and it just seemed to me that that this incident in your how old were you again about when this happened? Ten years. Ten years old. You were ten years old. Wow. Yeah. That's that's pretty that's pretty tough and traumatic right there. And it I mean, really it just, is. it really stayed, it really stayed with you. And, um, you know, I'm, I can't help but think that some, some of the, the, the things you went through in your life, you, you know, that was part of the, part of the recipe of maybe some of the things you went through, but uh, witnessing oh, yeah. something like that. But uh, I mean, I have oh, no yeah. idea. But, but I, but I wanted to talk about Dixie because I thought it, it was such a, 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 such, such a meaningful sort of, Thing to happen to someone and to reveal, right. ah, it's, right. a, it's it's just a you know it's it's a heartbreaking thing. It, it's even heartbreaking for the idiot boys who pulled the trick. You know, all well, well, they know? had to live with the,
1: the rest of their lives. Right. Was, you know, there's
0: just yeah. right wasn't going to go away. Right. Well, let's let's jump ahead a, a minute. I'm going to make a jump cut here and say so you sure. you grew up in, in Jackson, Michigan, which was a small town. And right. now when you were, um, when you got into theater and you had done your, uh, a, a summer of summer stock and came back home and was it after college that you started managing or, or running the, uh, like a community theater or that type thing? Right. Was that in your, right. home, I got in your hometown?
1: Yeah. Well, yes, it was. I was, I got, I was, I uh, moved temporarily with my new wife to Detroit where I didn't know what I was going to do. And, uh, and I got a call from uh, somebody in my hometown, and they were going to start a civic theater and do six shows a year. And so I got to go back there and and uh, you know pick the plays and and uh, and build the, the stage and the hang lights and uh, and so I did that for two years, during which my my boys were were born, and uh, it was a. It was a great time, and I learned a lot, I think I learned more doing that, because I had to do everything than I did, you know, in theater school and college. Sure. After I'd opened the last play, I I went to New York and, uh, you know, went through that period of sort of kind of being holed up at my little, uh, crummy little hotel room uh, just off Broadway uh, in the upper 90s in New York, and uh, that was the next step, and uh,
0: well, well, let but me let me I ask you like, how how did you know was your was your wife good with this with you because you left a wife and two small children to go by yourself yeah. to New York? That's a that's a tough thing to do. Oh, um,
1: she was great about it. Yeah. She was great about it. I mean, uh, she didn't say she didn't she knew that's what I felt I needed to do, and she was, you know, when I say that she was an admirable. Well uh, she she that was one of the things that she just said. Okay, if that's what you have to do, you have to do it. So go do it. Right. And then I I, I did it, and I got you know I got my equity card and and uh, started to work a little bit, and uh, and then we uh, they they came out and joined me.
0: Right. Well, yeah. let, let me ask you about that period because, and you alluded to it briefly the the hotel on on uh, right. West Ninetieth or wherever. Because in the book, it sounds like when you got to New York, you didn't really start right away to try to get uh, working as an actor. You, I mean, no. you know, you're holed up in your room. You talk about that about reading and reading a lot and right. being afraid to go out. I mean, I mean is that is that literal or were you just not even did yeah. you spend some time not once you got there afraid to start or whatever the, the reason was?
1: Well you just pretty much described it. Yes I did. I, I pretty much I would go out and buy armsful an armful of paperback books and go up and uh to my to my room and I'd I'd read most of the day for the first I don't know, a few weeks anyway, and then I it finally got so shameful to me that I was doing that, that I just went out and started, you know, blocking up my courage and and uh, making what few calls I could and kind of finding the trade papers and looking up and, and beginning to get myself out. and.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask day, you, because you, you mentioned in the book this severe uh, lack of confidence that you have. Oh, yes. And so I'm oh, yes. wondering, how, how does a guy who is that, lacking in confidence, even get the guts to leave Michigan and, and go to New York.
1: You know, I, I don't know about you, but my experience here's, here's what I am as an, as an actor. I've always been, and you know, and in my personal life, I kind of veered wildly between being very much of a, of a, um, an introvert and very much of an extrovert. And I don't know what the reason for that is exactly. I think perhaps I used to entertain my mother, and she liked, you know. And I and I got so I did it at school, and I got in school plays and stuff. And right. so I, I could do it that way. If I was on a stage, I could do any crazy thing.
2: Right?
1: I didn't. I just was without any. I, I know you're familiar with that. Oh you? yeah. Oh
2: yeah. Oh yeah.
1: You the, know, I mean, I, actors yeah. actors do that. Yeah. They'll just they'll just do you know shameless things. Uh, you know, just to because that's what they like to do. They right. like to. Perform, and but that doesn't mean that that's who they are. That you know that at their soul that they're that they're uh, brazen and exhibitionistic. I don't think uh, I know I wasn't.
0: Sure. Now let me ask you this: Were you taking notes and writing at that time? Even then, a a journal or. Did you yes. do? Did you do journals, or did you do? Was it more haphazard than that, or what were you doing? The way of, I would,
1: I would write a lot. Of, I would write a lot of scenes at that at that point. Right. I, I would write a lot of things because I thought, well, if, you know, I don't know why exactly, but I just felt I, I should I should learn how to write dialogue. So I, I, you know, I I've written a lot of plays, right? And and the, I started. I was starting then, and sometimes those plays would be, you know, a half a page, and uh, and then they got, you know, longer. But that that seemed to uh, fulfill some kind of uh, creative need. I think.
0: Let me ask you about a sequence in the book. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read it. And I want to I want to sure. ask you about it. Okay. And it's early in the book. It's it's like page fifteen or sixteen. And you've you've talked about you talked about this this palatial place you were staying in the. In uh, New York in the West Nineties, and it was uh, you, you right. said it was the kind of place where two years later there would be a double hatchet murder in the lobby, and and I think that was actually true, right? Yes, uh, yeah. Yes, it was true. And so, but but what I wanted to get to is over on the next page. You have a description of um of the night of the night clerk, and this this really uh-huh. this really struck me, and I kept going back to it. And, and here's here's what you say in the book. He's a man of average height and weight with badly pocked skin. He's probably in his mid-30s. He has oily brown hair, combed straight back from a high brow, white, even teeth, and small ears with almost no lobes. I've never forgotten his face. He will be one of the murder victims two years from now. Now, what strikes me is, do do you remember... I mean, is there creative license in that description? Did you write it down at the time, or do you have such an indelible memory of that character because that description is is incredible? I mean, it's it's just you a,
1: know, I I think I wrote it at the time, and uh, the reason I think I wrote it is that I remember it, and the yeah. reason I re, you know, I, I just don't, I think that's one of those things that. Probably gets reinforced by the fact that I that I took notes on it, right? Because I I, I can still see his face,
0: right? I mean, it's uh, such a such a great description, and and I'm thinking, well, you know, somebody that was drinking as much as you say you are, maybe not, maybe not then. I don't know how you would I don't know how you would remember that. So you must be taking notes at, at uh, through some of well, this. Well, I wasn't drinking all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I going going back to the nonlinear uh, uh, sort of. Bent of the book, I, I got this. Right. I got this vision of you doing your research and 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 going back through papers and you know pulling out a piece of paper here and a piece of paper there and saying you know Linda where are the eighties you know I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking <laughs> where's my stuff from the eighties you know so because yeah, I feared yeah. you must be cool. taking copious notes uh, along the way.
1: Yeah, I've got boxes of I've got boxes of notes. I I saw you know I I I could probably write another book next year you yeah. know just from other notes
0: but uh, yeah right yeah, well so. your your first big success in new york once you once you got out of the room uh you you, <laughs> right. you got cast in a play called mating dance tell right. if you can tell a little bit about that story and and what a great success that that was and that was that your <laughs> was that your first uh big job or whether was there something predating well, that or? you
1: know, I, I came off at oh, a wonderful job I'd gotten in 1965 at the, uh, at I know this, age, this dates may, but I got a uh, wonderful job uh, at the World Fair. Oh right, you detail it's, that like, in the book, yeah. Yeah, and I was an MC for IBM, and I came. I had my worked, you know, like tie and tails. It was very fancy schmancy, and and uh, and I'd come down this little one man elevator, and there was what was called a people wall. And, I talked to them, and, and anyway, it paid very nicely. It was a nice job, and then I got—I had an audition toward the end of that summer, just about two, three weeks before it was to end. I got a an audition for uh, this play, pre-Broadway play called Mating Dance, and a uh, star of that—the the sort of Hollywood name above the title star—was Van Johnson, the old MGM carrier. I mean, uh, contract player. Sure. And uh, and. Uh, a nice guy, really nice guy, and, and in fact, uh, I ran into only nice guys. Richard Mulligan, if, if anybody remembers him from sure. soap, and sure. uh, you know, just terrific actor. And I was his understudy, and I had a small part of myself. And we toured in, in New Haven and uh, Boston, Philadelphia, and a couple of other uh, uh, Delaware and a couple of other places. And uh, then we came into town, and we uh, we opened up, and uh, and we uh, the next morning under my uh, under my door was a little telegram that said uh, due to uh, I don't remember what it said due to but anyway it said uh, that's it it's all over come get your last paycheck so I did so I it's it, I, I think I say in the book in the, it's in the Broadway Internet database it says mating dance opened um, November whatever it was 1965. Closed the same date, nineteen sixty-five.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but but all was not lost because someone saw you. Was it David Merrick? Yeah, or, yeah. Who yeah, saw you in absolutely. in that? And yeah, and out of that came your being uh, placed. Now, did you go into Cactus Flower uh, as an understudy or as a I uh, did. to replace Bert Brecherhoff? Or how did that work?
1: I I I went in as an understudy for Bert and uh and then bert left the show and uh, and then uh, Lauren McCall okayed me for to for the replacement so right. she really gave me my big break
0: now was this bert brinkerhoff is this the same bert brinkerhoff that went on to be a, a very busy director and television director or was that yes. a, yeah okay
1: yes yeah and he was he was a a very you know a, a working uh young actor in his his 20s, he was in a film called Blue Denim and right. uh, a couple of others. and uh, But he never really took off for, you know, who knows about those reasons. But anyway, he was a good actor. And, uh, and he became a very successful director.
0: Well, now, were you still married to Sarah at this time or were you two divorced by the time Cactus Flower came along?
1: By that, by that time, we were divorced. Okay. And I was, uh, I was, uh, I was with uh, Jessica. Her father was Claude Rains. And uh, I, I went up. I spent one Thanksgiving uh, weekend with them uh, up at uh, Claude's uh, home. In uh, at that time, it was Sandwich, New Hampshire, and uh, and he was pretty much by himself. And so, uh, while the food was being cooked, I think on both days, I he he read. From all kinds of things that he'd read for in concert performance, or from this or that play that he loved, and and he was, you know, he had the the, the most magnificent voice I've ever heard, and and he read to me from uh, very Shakespearean things and and uh, just all kinds of wonderful stuff, and I just sat there wet eyed, right, while listening and, to him. And surely days people
0: days. know, but pe- people people who aren't of a certain age like. We are surely, surely they know that 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 he is most famous probably for Casablanca, but but a host of of of, of other films as well. I I would hope that no one needed that explanation, but you never you you never know you you never know you never know.
1: I know if you're 20, there's no reason for you to necessarily, you know, maybe know him, but sometime along the way, if you if you like good film. You're going to run across some some Claude Rains films. Right, he's
0: just right. spectacular. Well, Cactus Flower, I think, probably began your your real. Well, that was it was just a great uh, push for your career, was it not? And it and it put you into the yeah. company of people like Walter Matthau and Ingrid Bergman. The film did later, yes. and and of yes. course Lauren Bacall in the in the play, and. Right. You know, so there's, and the book is is filled with a lot of anecdotes about people like Lauren Bacall and and Walter Matthau and Ingrid Bergman. There's a great story. I know you've told it before. You know, I I hate to ask you to tell this story again because of your probably You may be sick of telling it, but there is a no, no. there is a wonderful story that you tell on yourself uh, that that involves Ingrid Bergman, and it and it just oh, yeah. and it just sort of it just sort of says a lot about the actor's life in a certain way. Would you tell the, tell, tell the story about, about Ingrid Bergman oh, yeah. and, and, and what happened there with her?
1: Ingrid had kind of a, a reputation for sort of having little liaisons with her leading men. And uh, and her leading man in, in The Cactus Flower was Walter Matthau. And I don't think she was necessarily that attracted to him. And she and I had gotten talking uh, for one thing, because uh, I was married to uh, to uh, Claude Rains' daughter, and she'd done um, what was it, Notorious, with him, and she told me how they'd built you know little troughs for her to walk in because Claude was not a tall man, and uh, in fact he combed his hair very high, so that he would appear to be taller. Anyway, we talked and and we got to be friendly, and I got the impression that maybe. She had a little kind of a, a, a warm feeling toward me, and 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 I I don't think I had any important delusions, but I you know I felt like I was in her in her. Uh, she had good feelings about me, and one day we were rehearsing a scene where I was I was uh, we would not shoot it where I was dancing with her. In fact, we were shooting, and uh, and I, I was dancing a little slow dance and. and the director called Cut Gene Sachs, and he said, uh, "Rick, you you got your hand over Ingrid's profile." And I thought, "Oh, oh no, I, I've just I've just ruined Ingrid Bergman's profile any, by any chance I ever dreamed of of being an, a movie actor just out the out the window." <laughs> and those are the kind of things that go through your brain, right. at least my brain, and. Uh, but Ingrid was really nice about it, and she patted me in the back of the head, and, and I, thought, I thought even more. She was just crazy about me. And then the, we finished filming, and I saw her several months later at, uh, at the premiere in New York, and I was, uh, I was, I guess I was coming down the aisle, and I saw her seated uh, on the aisle, and I said, Hi, Ingrid, and she said, Hi, Nick. <laughs> she, I knew. I knew. She, I really hadn't stuck in her mind that much.
0: The, the bloom was off the rose, eh? Yeah.
1: Bloom was off that rose.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, no, when when you came to Hollywood, you were in several episodes of Green Acres. Was that right. was that before Cactus Flower? Yes, it was. Yeah, I would think so yeah, because I'd, once cactus, I wouldn't think you would have gone to, from cactus flower to Green Acres, but uh, your right. your agent probably would have killed you. Or,
1: yeah. Well, I I got actually got the uh, job in Green Acres because I'd I'd done a uh, pilot while I was still on stage in, in New York doing uh, doing cactus flower, and uh, so that pilot didn't sell, but uh, they put me under contract, Filmways. That was. And, um, and so they could use me however they wanted to. And they put me in, uh, in green acres. I also tell a story in that about the guy who produced that a nice man took me out to uh, dinner one time. And he said, um, uh, that they were thinking of uh, having a series that starred Arnold, the pig, who I-, I say is, was the real star of the show. Anyway, <laughs> not true. But anyway, he was a very important part of the show and Arnold was going to inherit a lot of money, and I was going to be Arnold's lawyer, and we were going to go on international tours, and I would just represent Arnold. And uh, (laughs) uh, I recall saying... uh, my mother hadn't raised any kids yet enough to think that was a smart career move.
0: Yeah, really? (laughs) (laughs) But I I guess that was your first introduction to, let's see, which of the Gabor sisters was in green acres. Um, That was Ava. Ava. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I won't go, I want to ask you to recount it here, but there's, there's a, there's a pretty funny uh, sequence in the book where you talk about later working with both Gabor sisters and, uh, and yeah. people people should definitely uh, get the book and and you know look for that that little tidbit because it's a pretty pretty oh, uh, pretty yeah. funny story. Well, let me let me tell. We're we're running out of time here. I don't want to keep you too long, but but I wanted to. Uh, I did a little research here on just you you may not care about this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, Go ahead. It's about cactus flower. Cactus Fire was the eighth highest-grossing film of 1969, if you can believe was it? Wikipedia. Wow. It was produced on what now seems to be a minuscule budget of three million dollars and grossed twenty-six million dollars. So I, so I went to Google as your friend, you know. So I went to find uh, how that would look adjusted for inflation from then to the latest. Uh-huh. The latest date you can get is 2010. But that three million dollar right. budget then, as of two thousand ten, would be about eighteen million dollars, and the wow. and the um, gross of twenty five million dollars or twenty six million dollars would be approximately equal to one hundred and fifty million dollars in today's currency. So pretty good. So pretty good. And yeah. of course, since you had a piece of the producer's gross. You were. You were
1: <laughs> I actually ran in. I ran into Walter Mathau a couple times after that, and uh, and he 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 loved that film because he did have a, a piece of it, and I think he made a great deal of
0: money from that film. I would I would imagine so. You know we talked about confidence early uh, earlier. Talk about how important it is for an for an actor in getting work and in doing work to remain confident and 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 how that sometimes gets sabotaged by the business and and different things that we can do to ourselves confidence seems to me to be be such a a key to ha- having an ongoing career in in the business do you agree
1: oh i think it abs- oh absolutely i agree i couldn't agree more it's uh i I went through a time when i uh i, I went through a time Because of *Cactus Flower*, when I I didn't have to audition, and this was a a just—I know it was a privileged time for me, and I was just very lucky. Uh, And that was for television. They—they were still—you know—you'd still see people and and read for them for movies and stuff. But, but uh, it it was a—it was a lovely moment. But careers go up and down and up and down and so on and so on. You. you have to you have to audition again because they don't know you as you look now and they, they're not sure you can still you know talk or or that you look like anything like what they picture the character they're trying to cast looking and so you have to go in there again and do it and you know i remember the the, the word concentration in acting on whatever it is you can find to concentrate on that makes you be a real human and then your idea of Whatever truth is in in you and in your relationship to the material you're you're, uh, you're auditioning for, then maybe you can beat those heebie-jeebies. I talk a little bit about you know it being kind of like a golfer with the yips, and that if you just if you get involved in in thinking about what you're doing too much and not involved in the in the the work itself and the, and the you know what you're there for. You know, which is not to uh, not to be an actor. You're to be the character and to be the to be that person. And if you can keep those two things separate. I was trying to look for that uh, little thing that I actually I do I do have it here. It's during my tapering down years I begin to freeze up at auditions. Years ago I was offered a role in Colombo. I didn't take it because my sons were coming to LA during that shooting, which was to be in North Carolina. I didn't want to miss any time with them, so I said no to the job. It was just one of the victims anyway. I just turned down that ping. Uh, who who wants to, to get killed in the first reel anyway? Years afterwards, I had an audition with Peter Falker for one of his latter years episodes of the show. I want it desperately, and that's how I read for it. I've rehearsed over and over again, bouncing off the walls, driving my wife crazy. I've come up with an absolutely rock-solid idea of what I need to do to make it perfect. I map out every moment. That's the number one film auditioning no-no. I'm programmed like a robot, and that's how it comes out at the audition, mechanical, unnatural, and dead. I skulk out of the audition room. Both Peter and the casting director, who's hired me several times before, have been as warm as they could be, but I've blown it by a combination of wanting it too much and my Trojan horse acting. As I'm about to leave the offices, Stevenson hurries after me and says, Peter wants you to come back and do it again, but this time play a little looser. I go back in and do exactly the same thing I did the first time. Peter is his pleasant, unperturbed Columbo self, but it doesn't help. Even though it's obvious he's trying his best to set a relaxed tone for me, I've rehearsed so hard I've welded myself into a groove and can't break out of it. I know there's a larger lesson in this, but it eludes me. I'm too disappointed in myself. When auditioning goes badly, it's like being a golfer with the yips. You're trying to steady your nerves for a putt, but your mind is in the wrong place, not on the zen of putting, not on allowing your muscle memory to do what it knows, as sure as it knows how to walk, as you know how to walk, but on your self-defeating need to try to force the ball into the hole. It's the opposite of being in the zone. And you realize that cameras are okay, big audiences are fine, it's not that hard to look upon them as impersonal, but a small number of very close human witnesses to your uh, crime of forcing what can't be forced is just another way of dying out there. You can feel them breathing on you, and you know as near as they're sitting that unlike a camera or a theater audience, they are not only going to send you home without the job, they are seeing every flaw in your character. This is right near the end. I take it back. The lesson doesn't elude me. It's as simple as I'm trying too hard. And trying too hard is trying for the wrong reasons. It's playing to the gallery, acting from your measly intellectual guess of what they want and not from the truth. And not looking for the truth is insulting and discordant, and the opposite of art or anything else worthwhile. And if it's strictly money you need, they know it. You might as well have it tattooed on your forehead. That's the end
0: of it. That, my friends, is a section of the book that is worth the price of the book for anyone who is or wants to be an actor. And that's not the only little tidbit that's, that, that's in there. It's, it's a very, very difficult business. And if someone... Like you, Mr. Lenz, who has uh, really an extraordinarily successful career, can come to the place because of whatever reason that you experience that, any one of us can be in the same place. And I, I'm sad to say, have, in fact, been in a similar place, and it is so uncomfortable. It is so oh, uncomfortable. it's awful. It's yeah.
1: awful. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, to
1: talk to a a brother
0: in the bonds of this well i, I can't i, I can't uh, uh, pretend to have had anywhere near the career that you have but uh, but i but i do understand uh-huh. some of the things that you speak you of. And I've, I've always yeah. said you know that that you, you the thing about confidence is that you can't manufacture it you're, nope. you're either confident oh. or you're not you know and i i remember when i first went to los angeles and from dallas but i was working constantly and there's nothing that builds confidence like work you know you're just because when you're working you don't need the next job if you don't get it it's okay because another one's coming and you know that because you just finished one and then at some point it doesn't come (laughs) and (laughs) and you do need the job You know, you do need the job because you're just a little bit short on the money you need to keep your insurance for SAG or whatever. Right. And it becomes important and it becomes too important. And and everything gets out of whack, just as you describe in that very painful episode, you know, and and not to pile on, but, you know, because I think these are so instructive for people who want to get into this business and see only the glamour. And only the money and only the fame, you know, there there has to be, and I don't mean to preach to you or to anybody, but but, but you have to have a passion for the work because all the other stuff is just baloney at a certain point and, and doesn't make it. You tell the story. It's on page 44 in your book. Okay. And and it's you know I hate I hate to do this to you because it's uh, it it's, no, it's, okay. it's It's painful I'm to, to for you and it's painful to read, but it's the reality of the business, and it's you were you were driving yourself out to the set, uh, to uh-huh. some, to somewhere, and actually I think it's on page forty four, and I, I got it right here. Right yeah, right here. W- w- do you mind reading that little section there? No, because it's, I don't mind uh, at all. Yeah, I
1: don't mind at all. Uh, I head out to the Antelope Valley to meet a directors out there with cast and crew, and this is later on, this is, you know, <laughs> not that long ago, uh, working on an independent film about uh, some kids abused by a camp counselor. It's midday as I drive 40 miles over the Taupe Lavender Mountains and out into the high desert north of L.A. My ancient V.W. Rabbit makes its way heroically through the heat up and down the hills. When I arrive on the set, the director seems surprised. I'm really sorry. He says, you're not quite what I had in mind. When I ask him what he had in mind, he shrugs and simply says, "Someone younger." Ouch! It is beyond my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And I like this next paragraph. And i It is beyond my comprehension how he could say that to me. When I was young, I kept being surprised at how long I kept being young. Now that I'm not young anymore, I'm surprised how truly shocked I become when something like this happens. The habit of being young is that ingrained.
0: Absolutely, boy! How how I relate to that? You get this picture in your head of what you used to look like, you know, and it and it's not there anymore. (laughs) I know. I I struggle with that.
1: I remember running as fast as I could. I don't. It was you know a number of years ago now, but just running full out as fast as I could. And I thought to myself, God, I love doing this. I I I, I wish I could always do this because at that by that point I knew. I wasn't going to be able to. Yeah. But you
0: know those things are they hit you sometimes. They they do. We're going to we're I'm I'm going to let you go, but let me throw a couple of names at you because I know there are people out there that that want to hear some of the celebrity things and and you don't have to go into long, long stories about them but I but I want to throw some names okay. out so that you know we want we want you to sell some books here too. Uh oh, thank and, you. and and the people that are interested more in just the celebrity Uh, encounters and that kind of thing. Uh, Just maybe an impression or two of a few names that I'll throw out. John Wayne.
1: John Wayne was like, he just dominated the set like a, of the shootist, like a, like a an oak in the backyard. He was just, he just, you know, he was, even he was ill at the time. But he still was this just enormous presence and everybody was, uh, and he was very kind. He was very kind to me. And so I that's my impression of him
2: Richard Boone
1: ah uh, well, I had a long relation with him because I would did a series together for like two and a half years and and uh we got to be pals he was uh he was a he could be sarcastic and and had a real bite to him, but he was also uh he was also a buddy in the in the end and i I had some you know letters from him you know after we finished the series actually we talked about maybe going to new york and doing long days journey we were talking about trying to do, wow. do that and yeah. uh, he was a he was a, a hell of an actor
0: one of one of my childhood heroes of course because i remember him first from, among other things from um paladin you know when i when yeah. i was a kid and uh um, of course i him in many 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 other things he was in a lot of a lot of television but he was he was some someone who was sort of an, an uh, at times an over-the-top actor but but um in a, in a great way you know i mean he he was oh, yeah. he, he was uh, somebody that would really fill the screen as somebody i really enjoyed uh lucille ball yeah.
1: lucille ball i didn't know terribly well i I just encountered her a couple times, met her a couple times, and she was uh, she was in the more kind of smoky voiced era of her life, and uh, there was a little kind of uh, you know sardonic nature to her, uh, at least with me, and uh, and uh, she was perfectly kind. I I tell you now that you mentioned that, I don't think he's mentioned in the book. Is I knew her son uh, Desi, Desi, okay, uh, pretty pretty well, and. he was one of those people, you know, who looks at you when you're talking to them like you're saying the most important things he's heard all day wow. or or for a long time. Yeah. And he just pay pays that kind of attention and I just really was terribly fond of him, you know, that time I worked with him.
0: Well, let me yeah. let me let you go, but I want to read one little passage from the book and I hope that the, I hope this doesn't come across as as a, as a as a down part because I don't mean it there, but it's uh it's, it's earlier in the book, and you say, I'm embarrassed to say for the most part of my life, I found myself drawn to a lack of harmony. It's like someone who stops at car wrecks. You keep wishing you'd quit doing that, but then you hear the sound of smashing metal and you're standing outside your apartment door listening to the redneck in the apartment across the hall screaming at his wife, telling her how pathetic she is. You don't know why you keep doing that, except that you've just got to know how this comes out. And I found myself thinking, you know, when I started reading this book, there was an element to it of I've just got to know how this comes out. And I'm very happy to say that it comes out pretty darn good at the end. By the way, you you won. Uh, what's the award you won at the at what, the LA uh, the
1: Los, an- Los Angeles Book Festival Award for autobiography? Uh, biography.
0: Well, there you go. There you go. So <laughs> so I must be right. Somebody somebody thinks I'm well, right. This is a terrific book. Uh, and, and oh, people, so is, is it available on uh, Kindle editions and all that too? Or, it, yes, pe- it is. It okay.
1: is. You can get it on Amazon and on Barnes and Noble. And uh,
0: yes. Great. Absolutely. Excellent. I will have some links on my show notes to your uh, website, which I believe is um, com, and pr- probably some right. other sites too. And there's, there will be, uh, I'll put a link up to your site that uh, has some examples of your artwork and other oh, things that the people like that. can go to, well, but it's been a real treat I've, I've really, to I've talk really to you.
1: i really enjoyed this interview especially. Well, so thank I, you. I, I really appreciate that.
0: Well, God bless yeah. you, and and I'm uh, 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 so happy that your family is in such good shape. And, you know, we've uh, as a reader of the book, I feel invested to some degree in their lives. And I think that's a credit to your ability as a writer. So thank you so much, Rick. We'll uh, look oh, forward to the you, next Charlie. one. Well, take care. Rick Lenz okay. and North thank of you, Hollywood. Charlie. Thank you, sir. It's been my pleasure. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Well, thanks again for joining me for episode 37 of Actors Talk podcast. The reboot, if you will, of my interview with actor author playwright novelist mr rick lens hope you enjoyed the interview as much as i did talking with rick back at that time i i think you'll uh, get a sense of who he is and what a talented guy he is you will know for a fact once you pick up north of hollywood also look for a new book that rick has coming out in 2014 And I will have information on that in the show notes at actorstalkpodcast.com. Well, hopefully next time I get together with you, my voice will be in much better shape. And you won't have to listen to this. The book coming out in 2014 is called a novel called The Alexandrite. It's a Hollywood time travel thriller from Mr. Rick Lance. I want you to also be aware of that uh, North of Hollywood has won seven awards so far since its publication, including runner-up at the London Book Festival, finalist in the Forward Reviews Book of the Year Award. Thank you, Rick, so much for joining me as my guest on Actors Talk Podcast it was my distinct pleasure sir thank you join us next time until then hope to see you in the movies this is Tommy G Kendrick saying so long